in August, something happened and I got the shanks like real bad. Like I had 28 in round shanks <laughs> in two and a half weeks. And seven of them were in one round at a place I was really excited to play, Milwaukee Country Club, because it's a hard place to get a get around. Um, and I was driving the ball as good as I've ever driven it. I mean, we're talking like 285 right down the middle, every hole. And I had seven wedge, just full <laughs> send rights. And Pitch out. to my to my credit, though, even with seven of those, I shot an 84. That's pretty good. So, seven shanks. You know, seven shanks. Welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne. Thanks so much for joining us. Very excited to have Drew Holcomb joining us on the podcast today. Drew, of course, award-winning musician, billboard chart topper, and someone who's led a pretty uncommon golf life. Uh, I think it's a discussion you're very much going to enjoy listening to. Something else that you're going to enjoy for sure, I'm very excited to announce uh, a new film from the Golfer's Journal, and this film is called Local Rules Nashville. Now, we all have this image of what Nashville is, Broadway bars, honky-tonks, bachelorette parties, but is that what Nashville really is to Nashvillians? Probably not. And what about their golf scene? Can you name the best course in Nashville? I mean, they don't have a tour event. Can you name any of the public gems you should play when in town? Well, this TGJ film hopes to paint a more accurate picture of both Music City and its golf identity, identity through three unique characters. First, we get Nick Bishop, the founder of Hattie B's Hot Chicken, that's taken a classic Nashville recipe and turned it into one of the hottest menu items in the world. Then the film features Robbie Matz, a professor at Belmont University, who's teaching a class there called Ways of Knowing, Golf Life Lessons, and Society, a class I wish I could have taken in college. I might have done, done well in that one, or maybe not. And the film is also, of course, going to feature our guest today, Drew Holcomb, seeing as Nashville is his hometown. Uh, Drew is the front man for Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. And if for no other reason, you need to watch this film to hear and watch Drew play uh, an acoustic solo piece. It absolutely gave me the chills. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so check out Local Rules Nashville. Uh, and again, thanks to Drew for jumping on the podcast today to talk a little bit about that and his golf life. Otherwise, you can watch Local Rules Nashville now on golfersjournal.com slash films or on our YouTube channel. We'll drop a link in the fine details of this episode wherever you're listening or watching. Uh, this film was made in partnership with Titleist. So big thanks to Titleist for their help. And speaking of Titleist, I'm absolutely loving my new T150 irons. This is not a lie. Uh, you know, we're indoors here now, and I was on the simulator last week, and I had to ask our pro if the uh, if the track man was set for downwind because I was getting 10 extra yards out of my six iron. Now, of course, that's on a sim inside, but these things are not only giving me more distance, the feel is absolutely exceptional. It's everything you would come to, you've come to expect from a Titleist iron, where when you make good contact, I mean, you feel it in every bone. You almost don't feel it. It feels so great. Uh, and with my bag, we did a blended set. So my four iron is actually a T200, which has a, has a little more meat behind it and was giving me a higher trajectory for a better 
angle of attack and angle of descent. So I highly recommend not just getting the new T-Series in your bag, but getting properly fit for them as well, because your right T-Series irons might be a blend of T-Series irons. So go to Titleist.com and schedule your fitting today. As always, everyone, thanks for listening and for supporting the Golfer's Journal. And now, quiet please, next up on the Golfer's Journal podcast, Drew Holcomb. Thanks for making the time, Drew. Got a lot going on. Yeah, Yeah. no, you've you've got a lot happening. You are on your way back out on tour. Uh, And I believe the next leg taking you over to Europe. Yes, I keep getting hit up by people who are golfers. They're like, oh, I see this is a golf trip. You know, I'm like, "Uh, have you ever been to Europe in January? (laughs) It's still only daylight for five hours. I don't think I'm going to get a lot of golf in. If you hit the daylight... You might be able to squeeze in. I mean, it's probably not going to be snowing. So where are you? You're going to Manchester. You're going all over the UK. and It's just a quick trip. So it's Amsterdam, two nights in London, uh, Manchester, Glasgow. Okay. So yeah. just a five shows and six nights. And then so it's a solo tour. So it's an, it should be pretty easy. All right. So for all our listeners over there, uh, make sure you check out Drew Holcomb's uh, you know, website for all the tour dates. And then, and then you come back to... Then you come back to us. Yeah. Yeah. So then February is a, a duo tour with my wife, Ellie, which we do once a year in February. That's mostly sort of Southeast mid-Atlantic. Uh, then a little break. And then the big tour is April, May, 34 shows with the band coast to coast, pretty much half the cities in America. So <laughs> it's a long one. So when you're planning these tours, where are you looking and thinking, all right, this is a place I'm going to play some golf? Or did you deliberately schedule any locations for places you could play some golf? <laughs> uh, I don't do that anymore, but I do try to schedule my days off on the road. because I, So I can only sing about four nights in a row before I start to lose my voice. So it's typically we'll go three nights on, one night off, two nights on, one night off. You know, sort of that two, three, sometimes four. Um, and while I definitely... Once the tour is booked and I know which cities I'm going to be playing in, I, I, do, I don't try to, I don't play every day on the road, but I probably play two out of three days on the road. And by this point, you know, 20 years in, I've got friends in most places that I've met through charity tournaments or a friend of a friend or, you know, the golf world is very, um, yeah. you play, you play golf with somebody in Pittsburgh and they say, Oh, I saw you're going to be in Cleveland. You should play with my friend there. So it sort of has created this 15 year, you know, rolling um, list of friends who host me sort of all over the country. But I certainly have favorites, but then I like to try new things. But at this point, you know, I'm more interested in having a good match with somebody that I know than I am off checking another course off the off the bucket list. Unless yeah. it's something, you know, really special that I haven't played, which I had a couple of those last year. and I'm, I'm sure I'll hit a few of those this year as well. Yeah. In fact, you you put out, I think, on Instagram or or. Twitter, you mentioned some of your favorite places that you played this year. I wanted yeah. to talk about those. I also wanted to talk about the one glaring admission on that omission on that list, Drew. Oh, the and one we played together. Anyone? Yeah, how about that? How about that? How about how about a Wade's Pro so, CC? I actually had two or That's three me. people. I had two or three people that similarly, you know, called me and were like, "What the heck, man." You know, mm-hmm. and I honestly, it was it was a sin of uh, of, of omission, not commission. I, I, I loved your golf course. Westboro was amazing. 
Waynesboro uh, is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, Waynesboro is amazing. I just <laughs> clearly my brain isn't functioning very well this morning. Uh, no, Waynesboro is a sleeper. You know, I mean, I think the problem, like everything in your in your city, is that the top shelf is so good. Yeah, like yeah. Waynesboro would be probably the second best course in Nashville, maybe even the first best course. You know, but yeah, you know, there's like there's these cities like um, Columbus and Philly and. San Francisco, where it's like really hard for a really great local club to shine out because of what all it's surrounded by. No, Waynesboro was incredible. Um, well, thank yeah. you. But you, I mean, I think you played Marion the day before. Maybe the I day did. After. I played so, Marion the yeah. day before. Thankfully, I played better at Waynesboro, so I enjoyed myself a little more. Marion, I had one of those rounds where I went like double birdie, double, double birdie. And so it was just one of those like in your pocket and then having a great memory back-to-back holes and sort of as a skittish, you, you kind of wonder what you're doing, why you even play golf on rounds like that. Cause you've, it's almost worse that you made some birdies cause you, you're in your pocket like five times. It's the worst, especially yeah, when you're somewhere good and you're not finishing holes, it's the worst. Um, yeah. you, du- you doubled one. Was it the tee shot at Marion? Was it the, with the pressure of the, the lunch crowd looking on? So actually I did, I mean, I did par one. I doubled two <laughs> uh, and then uh, birdied three. The, the 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 number one I sprayed it way right like in the right of the tree, wow. and then I I I made it over the tree onto the green and two putted, um, but then the the birdie of the day was what's the one you, you cross the road back towards the clubhouse the short par three, is that thirteen? Thirteen. So fourteen is that dog leg left right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I duck hooked it and I'm three inches inbounds next to one of those white stakes by the road. Yeah. And I'm buried this deep and I just hit the greatest slash high 60 degree, you know, 54 degree, whatever it was. It was probably like an 80 yard shot, but I mean, I hit it to an inch. No yeah. way. It was just like, this is so stupid. What am I doing? This is, is so stupid. fun. That's a yeah, pretty good The first ball. shot was so bad. It should have been out of bounds. You know, it's fun, funny when they had the U S open there, they had, you know, yeah. When you go along the road there, uh, they have those, you know, um, little poles cut off things so that yeah. you, know, you don't drive on the golf course. They, they chop those all down to flush for the, for the U S open, which I thought, Oh really? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And all those houses along that road they used for like, you know, staging and, and, uh, yeah. scoring well, it's, and it's, it's coming stuff. back, right? When is it coming back? It is coming back. Uh, I'm going to throw out 2035 as a probably a okay. wrong answer. Um, but I, but I sometime believe, around the around the decade from now, yeah. yeah. So so not not too long from now. So dedicated golfer, accomplished musician. You had a big year, man, and want to talk about that. Let's get back to that list of favorite courses that you did play this year when you were out there. Uh, shoot mm-hmm. shoot me, uh, run me through yeah. some of those. So number one for me was um, was Valley Club. I never played Valley Club. You know, I've played a lot of golf in California. I've done sort of the Pebble Spyglass rotation. I've gotten to play Cypress a number of times, Monterey, and then done some of the LA stuff. So I've kind of played the big marquee courses. And obviously Valley Club is very well regarded, but it's also, you know, it's hard to get on. It's hard to get to. Um, It's not really on the beaten path of touring. Santa Barbara is not a big touring market, so I've never been there that many times. But I was just really... Um, blown away by the golf course itself, but then also the culture of the course. I love, I love really highbrow courses that allow push carts. Yeah. And there's all these people just push carting their way around the golf course of every generation. 
and the culture of it was just really, I found it to be very good. Um, my number two was wing. I finally got to play Wingfoot West. Uh, it was 38 degrees and blowing about 10 degrees. It was a, it was a cold day, but, uh, we played some reasonable tees and I don't know why, but of all the sort of top 10, 15 courses, Wingfoot had captured my imagination the least over mm-hmm. the years. And I think mm-hmm. it's just cause it on TV, it always presented as sort of classic tree lined, you know, back and forth, which yeah. in person is not at all the experience. I mean, some of the most incredible green complexes. Yeah. I could imagine it being one of the greatest daily player clubs um, because the pins are also vastly create a vastly different hole every time you, you, you play around it. So that was really fun. I loved that. I got to play Sleepy Hollow for the first time. Um, and it was, you know, it was one of those where, you know, the internet hype is pretty high on Sleepy Hollow the last couple of years and it lived up to it. It was just a really great, and I got to play that with a guy named Ben Hillard, who's, um, who, uh, works with Gil and is also his son-in-law, but Ben yeah. did a lot of the, did a lot of the work there. And so playing the course with someone who did a lot of the restoration and renovation work, because they, some of it was restoration, some of it was renovation. They, they got rid of some holes. Some of the, I guess Tillinghast did sort of the back corner years after um, Rainer did the original and they tried to sort of make the whole thing a Rainer vibe. And it was, I, I thought it was incredible. Um, Lido, I, th- I thought was really good. Um, kind of a sleeper that I didn't really had not really heard of that I got to play that I really loved was Minicata. Yeah, um, Minicata by the Sea. Yeah, it yeah. was uh really 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 good. Also played really well that day. That that always colors it. And then a, a couple of I got to play a couple of places I've played before, but have since been redone. Um, the two that two that stand out are um, Congressional Blue and um, and Oakland Hills South. And I liked them before. Actually, I didn't really like Congressional Blue the first time I played it 10 years ago. I thought it was uh, really penal, really hard, really tight. Uh, just kind of didn't create, there weren't a lot of options and it wasn't as beautiful, a lot of trees. So they've done all this work and yeah. it's really, really spectacular now. Um, I always kind of think about, because if I travel all the time, you know, when I play golf courses, would I come here just to play this course mm-hmm. or is it just the course you play if you're in town? That's a good metric. I like that. Yeah. And before the congressional, I would say it used to be a, yeah, play it if you get invited and you're around. Um, Now it's a, yeah, if you have the time you get invited, it's worth traveling just to play it. Minicata, let me correct myself, is not by the sea. That would be very uh, geographically way off. It is by now the we're water. Now tied. We're, we're tied one for one on our, uh, on our flubs. Yes. <laughs> but it is by the water uh, and is a great track with some U.S. Open history. That's cool. How'd you get hooked up with Ben? Ben is redoing uh, or doing the restoration work at the course I grew up at, Rolling Green, outside Philadelphia. I don't know if yeah. you played that on your travels. I have not. All right, that's next up. No, I chose Waynesboro instead of Rolling Green that day. I'd rather, you know, because I've never, we had never played together and I wanted to play together. So, Um, Um, next time you're in town, Rolling Green. But Ben is, uh, they love the work he's doing out there. He seems like a great guy. He's a great guy. Yeah. So he um, um, was working on a project here in Nashville for a bit and we we became friends and uh, really like him, enjoyed playing with him. and uh, he let me get in an excavator and move some dirt around on this project he was working on here. So um, that was that was fun. That's very fun. So tell me your golf story, Drew. How'd you get into golf? How did it become a part of your life? 
And uh, can you remember your first time? Yeah. So my grandfather, I grew up five doors down the street from my grandparents. I had a brother who um, had some pretty significant special needs. He was uh, in a wheelchair from spina bifida. And so about three months after he was born, my parents moved down the street from my grandparents because we just, we needed, we needed family help with, with, you know, three kids under four and one of them having, um, you know, a bunch of medical issues. And so lived on the street with my grandfather. He was a very good golfer. He played at the University of Tennessee only for one year because then he had to go to the war. This is 1941, 42, but he played a lot. Uh, he was a club champ at a couple of places and just, a, just an all around good player. Kind of had a little bit of that Arnie sort of slash and burn Mickelson style of golf. You know, it didn't have a very, um, didn't have a very beautiful swing, but he was a good athlete. And so, but he also, by the time I was old enough to play with him, he was a bit of a, um, what's the nice way of saying somebody who sort of cheats at golf? Um, you know, he was, <laughs> he was just a fun, oh, let's hit another one. And an opportunist. Uh, and well, he would say things like, he would say things like, you know, if this was a pro tournament, they would have found that ball. And then he would just drop one and take a free drop for himself. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was like his M.O. So I, I had to get over that. But but then honestly, it didn't stick. I played a little bit of nine hole. There's a nine hole golf course in Memphis called Overton Park. That's a classic short muni, like the longest hole is probably 240, all par fours and threes. And and he lived down the street. So I played that with him as a, as a small child, like five to ten. And then I kind of gave up on golf. My, my dad was a casual golfer, maybe five rounds a year. Uh, and then I got to where I would play, I was playing like one round a year at the beach and one round a year with, uh, you know, like at a charity scrambles and this and that. Uh, but I'll never forget. I got invited to play in the Memphis St. Jude pro-am as a celebrity. Um, and we were paired with Harris English, who's a, a, a gentleman of a guy. This is, I don't know, 15 years ago and, uh, maybe 12 years ago, he was young on the tour and, I, all I had was this 20 year old set of ping I twos and my, my, my lowest wedge was a pitching wedge. I didn't even have a sandwich. Nice. And so I'm around the green using my pitching wedge and he's like, Hey, so talk to me about this, like a, this 10 club thing you've got going on here. You know, he's like, you got a decent athletic swing, but you, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta like invest some time and energy and at least get some decent clubs that are, <laughs> you know, to fill the bag. And around the same time I was starting to, I was already touring. I was probably five years into touring. And I started getting invited to great spots. I'll never forget. I was in in um, in Detroit the first time I played Oakland Hills, and I went around there and I was in my pocket on nine or ten holes, just hacking it around. And I was just embarrassed to shot 110 plus, maybe had two pars, you know, and they were lucky pars. Uh, and I just thought, okay, I think this is going to be a thing. I think I'm going to get invited to do this a lot. I want to really get serious about it. So then I started playing. I joined this club in Nashville called Nashville Golf and Athletic. It's a, just a sort of a suburb golfers golf club, um, every man's club. And I started taking some lessons and getting serious and got down to like a 12 and then just kind of hung out there for a while. And I would start, started to play on the road a decent amount. Took my first trip to Scotland with some buddies, shot a hundred at Carnoustie and, you know, just had a, had fun, but made a mess of it. Uh, and then really kind of started breaking 90 on a regular about 10 years ago. Thought, oh, this is kind of fun. I'm starting to get the get the bug for actually getting better at this. And this is around the time we trans transferred from being in a van and trailer as a band to being in a bus, which that meant I then had time during the day because you travel on the bus sleeping through the night. 
and you wake up at nine o'clock and you're in a city and I don't have sound check till four o'clock. And so I was, you know, okay, it's time to start playing some golf on the road. And yeah, so I, I started taking some lessons and my, our pro at the Nashville golf said, so what do you want to, what do you want? I said, I want to be like a single digit. And he goes like, you want to be a nine or you want to be a four? I was like, I want to be a four. And he goes, okay, we got to start over. <laughs> We're going to change it all. I had one of those big, you know, inside way outside over the top, you know, big yeah. left to right swings. And, and he made me completely start over. And and so I did, I got down actually last year, I got down to a two, I'm, I'm back up to like a five. I, I, so that's a, that's a whole nother story, but um, yeah, I got into the game. The music is what created the opportunity for me because I had all this time on the road and it wasn't, I was already away from my family out working. So I might as well have this hobby. And then I just, was very fortunate to make some great friends in great places and have in the last seven or eight years have, have gotten to play. I mean, anywhere I've wanted to play basically um, with a few exceptions and uh, it's been a wild ride and made it made tons of wonderful friends along the way. No doubt. You've got, you've played some incredible places. Um, you mentioned you played Cyprus a few times. I know that you've been to the Augusta national. Um, have, yeah. Do you want to tell us how that happened? I'm um, sure. I uh, I uh, have a friend who's um, it's another St. Jude story. Uh, a friend whose son is a, a cancer survivor who's a member at Augusta, and we got in to be friends through. He wrote a book, and I got to, about his son. And, and his son was the first. I think it was the first three time, maybe four time, bone marrow transplant survivor in in history. I may have the, the details on that. Maybe it was pediatric, you know, maybe the first time pediatric survivor of that many, but anyways, he was this is in, incredible kid. He's, he's alive. He's a, he's a survivor doing well. He's in college, but anyways, I got to know his dad through that and we just became good friends. And so I got to, I've gotten to play it with him. Um, just an incredible guy. And then um, I've become good friends with a handful of pros and, and got invited to play at a, a pros charity event. And, um, and he set up a, you know, um, played music at a pros charity event. And he set up a, a an 18 hole round there with my first time. And um, the funniest thing that happened to me the first time I played it was I got, I've never been hit by a ball and I got hit like by a line drive to the funny bone on the ninth fairway. And I thought I was going to not get to play the back nine. Really? Um, did Where get was to it? play, but I'm thinking you're so, on nine. Where'd the ball come from? Okay. So I'm on nine. I've hit the, I hit a good drive in the fairway on the right side, just, as you go, as the slope down the hill starts. So I'm standing on the top of the slope down the hill and this guy I was playing with hit it way right into the pine straw and the pine trees over there okay. near this there's an electrical box over there. So I'm almost standing directly behind him, maybe 15 degrees off of his left shoulder. So I can like, I'm looking at his left hip, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm 70 degrees from his target line. And he, he tries to hit this low punch like seven iron to run it up the hill. And he, I don't know, closes the face or something, but it comes right backwards past his left shin line drive and somebody else look out. And I see, and I just lift up my elbow like this to protect my face. And it tags me right in the elbow. It's amazing. Honestly, that I didn't break my elbow. Wait, um, so it hit it. Did it hit a tree and came back? How did he hit it? No, back? no. No, he, he, it literally like, it wasn't totally backwards. It was like, it was a, it was a reverse. Hollow oh, like it, okay. You know, like it was like yeah. a, a reverse shank. 
So it came this way. <laughs> Not exactly Bubba Watson on 10, I'll tell you. It was the opposite of Bubba Watson on 10. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, so that's incredible. You've been there a few times. I know you've had success. I don't know if you can talk about it, but if you can tell us about the success you've had on the second hole there. Uh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> another time, uh, uh, I just want to also preface like my stories with, I am the most self-aware that the embarrassment of riches of golf experience that I have is, is, um, unusual. And I consider myself very lucky and I don't take any of it for granted. Um, that said, I really enjoy it. And I also don't apologize for it. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I got, I was there and I was, um, uh, one of the other guests was a, was a very, famous country musician who's mostly retired from Texas, whose, whose nickname is the King. So that way I can keep it, yeah, keep it inside the lines. Plausible you know? deniability there. Plausible <laughs> deniability. And, um, I was very excited to be in paired with him. And, um, anyway, so my, my caddy was, um, Bud Jackson, who is Carl Jackson, the famous Crenshaw caddy, his younger brother, and just a great storyteller, amazing guy. And, um, yeah, so the pen on two was back sort of left about 10 feet below the cut line. And I hit my second shot, hit a really great drive, and then I hit a hybrid and it went kind of low right, kind of right of where the Sunday pin is. Mm -hmm. And I had about 130 foot putt all the way across the green. I had to go up into the rough on the high side and I made the putt for Eagle on two, you know, greatest golf moment. I, I thought about retiring after after that (laughs) moment, but yeah, I mean, making that's the high of my golf career. A putt through the rough onto at Augusta for the big bird. Um, for the for the big bird, that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty outstanding. So now you're playing at you play out of uh, at home. You're at Country Club of Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, Golf Club of Tennessee. Sorry, Golf Club yeah, of Tennessee. Right. Uh, no no with, pool. At, no pool at the Golf Club of Tennessee. Sadly, to my wife's chagrin. There you go. Uh, no pool at your other club either. Well, maybe we'll get to that one. Um, that's pretty uh, pretty cool. There are other folks. We, you know, we've had Ben Rector on the pod. I think he plays out there as well. He does. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of us musicians out there. Yeah. Yeah. Ben what's the music play, scene out there? Golf. What's the Nashville well, it, uh, golf music scene like? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, most. Um, I don't know about. I think I think there's a strong majority of artists, or at least like. A, a large number. I don't know if it's a majority, but play golf. I mean, especially inside of country music, which I'm not really, Ben and I are not really in country, but we're, I'm more, a little more country adjacent, you know, than he is. I, I sort of more folk rock Americana. I say uh, to people, you know, more Tom Petty, less George Jones is sort of our kind of music, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, th- there's so much inner face between athletes, musicians and business folks. Uh, there's this like sort of codependency that happens, you know? Um, and so a lot of musicians get invited to play a lot of great golf. And so they decide they want to get good at it. And it makes a great hobby for our particular lifestyle of being on the road and working at night. And, but we also want to have a place to play back home and golf club of Tennessee is a great spot because it's quiet. It's, um, you know, it's a classic golfers golf club. It's out in the middle of, in in the middle of the country. And, um, it was designed in the late eighties, um, by Tom Fazio. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of country guy, Vince Gill has been there forever. He's a great player. You know, Jake Owen, who we've all seen on AT&T over the years is, you know, plays there. Um, 
yeah, it's a and Ben and there's a whole list of others. There's other clubs in town that musicians love as well and play at. So we're not by any means the only sort of game in town, but um, it is a especially for the for the musicians who take their golf as seriously as they take their music. It's a good spot, um, but it's also pretty laid back. But it has a bit of a walking culture, not completely. It's sort of fifty fifty, but um, so I really like it. I'm a big I'm a big walker, and then also I'm part of the Sweetens Cove um, sort of ownership group. And that is one of my other favorite places on earth. And I don't go down as much as I'd like, but I go down there, you know, three, four, once, once a quarter and play all day and took my kids on Christmas Eve, Eve. And we had a full, you know, nine holes of my kids playing with me and my wife out there caddying for, for the little guy. He's, too, he's a little too young to carry his bag, but he still loves oh. to hit it hard. Oh, where are we now, Drew? We've moved we're, locations. <laughs> we're in my uh, my office down here. So, yeah, we've got some golf some golf memorabilia up yonder, some some big trip flags. Yeah, you do. Darnick, Barrett, you. Old Course. Cabot, Cabot. Marion, Waynesboro. Waynesboro. No, is up there. no, not there. Uh, <laughs> so are we in the spot where you make your music? Is this the – So I was – it was um, the spot I used to play my music. We used to we used to have an Airbnb. We have this uh, like garage apartment, um, and during COVID, nobody was renting it, so I moved in there, and my kids moved in here to do their virtual school, and then we never went back. Uh, I love that space is much more creative, and it's usually the space I would be if I wasn't dealing with my dog situation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I have, a, I have a sort of separate office now, and this is more of a family kind of workspace um in the basement but yeah i mean i write mainly here at, at the house there's a i have a space in the back where that space i was talking about and it's got vaulted ceilings it's just like really sounds great and it's so interesting how the geography of it and the architecture of it totally changed my creative output um really? being in this cold dark basement room was was not very creative space but it's all i had and so my i was writing maybe like two songs a month and then I, during COVID, when I went back there, I started writing more like four songs a month and they were better songs. And I was more excited to write. It was a very good lesson in, in, um, for creative people that the right space really, I think matters. I mean, sure that's true, true for you as a writer, like having the right space to, to write. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I've had basement offices, I've had tiny cramped quarters, um, this office is pretty comfortable. Uh, the uh, I actually kind of enjoy busy spaces when I can, just because it makes me focus more. Um, if I'm, you know, traveling or whatever, like that can be a weird, yeah. like working in a coffee shop, even though I don't really drink coffee. Um, you know, sometimes that works too. But yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Do you find yourself? Well, I want to pick up on Sweetens Cove, but take me to how did how does your involvement in Sweetens Cove happen? Where was it something? before Sweetens existed? Was it you going down there and like, man, this is a place I'd love to be a part of? Well, I think every golf community has these sort of communication channels where anything that's new or exciting or even different, uh, you know, is being communicated around, even if it's, oh, well, the head pro at so-and-so is leaving and going to wherever, or it could be as simple as, you know, oh, this country club hired, so-and-so architect to redo their bunkers or they're going to, you know, there's just all this chatter about golf in the region mm -hmm. and events and uh, new information. And I remember starting to hear 
things about this nine hole course being redone in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, which is about an hour and 45 minutes from downtown Nashville near kind of, we live about a mile and a half East of downtown. So there's a, this chatter. And at first it was sounded like it was going to be a private club. And then it was like, well, it's going to be public and then a little bit private if you wanted to join it. And I went down there, someone had rented it out, but this is back, you know, I don't know, eight years ago, you could rent the whole place out for like $1,500, you know, before the, before the investment group got in. So a lot of people would rent it out and have a buddy's day. And cause it was, um, pretty easy to get on back then. It was a $20 nine hole fee or $30, whatever it was. Um, but then as word got out and then this investment group bought it in 2019, which included some, you know, you know, big names, people like Peyton Manning and Andy Roddick. Um, and the long story that connected me. So two parallel things happened there. One, I already knew and loved the golf course and had been going there probably twice a year, starting 10 years ago when it first opened. Mm -hmm. And I met Rob Collins through, cause he was at the time, a lot of times he was in the shack running the show, you know, this is before his, he was getting a lot of other work. Um, yeah. So got to know him a little bit and this field of dreams story. And then all of a sudden it started to, to catch a little bit through different national media outlets and the golf Illuminati. Um, and then, uh, Parallel to that, when I was in high school, I got a scholarship to go to the University of Tennessee that was called the Manning Scholarship. And he he endowed a scholarship for clearly wasn't for athletics. I was going to um, say, I had no idea that you had those quarterbacking <laughs> this, skills. Yeah, those quarterbacking skills. No, <laughs> it was a sort of a leadership academics scholarship program. And good for you, man. Yeah. So I accepted that scholarship and went to Tennessee and to his credit, we, he sort of stayed in touch with me. That was in 2000, in 2000 when I, when, when I got that. And so I graduated four years later, he stayed in touch, not a lot, but about every two or three years. And as my music career developed, he would, he would connect with me via different intermediaries. And so I would say, Hey, Peyton told me to tell you he loves your new record and this and that. And then in the, over the last, you know, around the same time I started playing Sweetens, we, he and I actually got connected more personally where we were actually texting each other and became friendly uh, outside of just that sort of, you know, endow mentor student scholar relationship. And also parallel to that, I had gotten to know Andy Roddick through a mutual friend uh, who's a golfer that plays a lot that I, that I play a lot of golf with on the road. They became friends. Um, Andy lives in Charlotte. So, so does my friend. And so we became friends. They, unrelated to all of that, those guys and some other people bought the golf course in hopes of turning it, uh, kind of getting it, you know, in the, in the, in the black and, um, uh, giving it some capital budget, you know, like to, to make all these, you know, improvements that nobody wants to pay for things like drainage and, and lawn equipment and all the things that make a golf course go around. So, uh, they put together an, another sort of secondary investment group, to uh, start this bourbon as well. And um, they, Andy said, hey, we're looking for somebody who's a, a Tennessean, who's a musician, who loves golf, and it'd be a bonus if they already love Sweet and Scove, uh, and they love bourbon. And I was like, well, that's there's only like maybe three of those. in Because um, <laughs> <laughs> most of these musicians are not native to Tennessee. Uh, 
I mean, there's some for sure, but uh, so anyways, that, that worked out and I got involved. And then my only caveat was that I also wanted to be involved on the golf side. Cause that was really my baby. And um, it's been great. It's uh, I think as the, as the, as the notoriety of the course caught on, it got harder and harder to have the, the great experience. Cause it was 80 mm-hmm. people waiting on the tee box to play and it just got backed up. And so we went to this uh, day pass model, which is, I think, while it has left some people on the sidelines, the people that do get there and that plan it and get to go have this, what I would consider a top five experience in golf. I mean, I, I put it up there with the, the, the 36 er at Muirfield or playing the old course, um, you know, playing pebble. It's like just one of these things that I think everybody needs to experience. And I don't say that just cause I have skin in the game. Cause you know, we basically take every dollar that we make out of it, pour it back into the property and the staff. So it's a it's a legacy pride thing for me more than it is a a business you know um i think everybody that is involved in it on the ownership side we just thought it was beautiful and wanted to see it thrive and we're so grateful that it is thriving indeed it is are there any plans that as an owner you can give us any uh any hints on anything in the works for Sweetens Cove? I mean, it doesn't need much. I mean, it kind of is what it is. It doesn't need much. It is what it is. We've, we've always sort of toyed around with what, if there's something, if there's something else to do there, we've currently landed on, let's just make small tweaks to make the experience better. We added food this year, which was a big deal. Mm-hmm. It was kind of hard to pull off, but um, little things, you know, again, we're not a country club with a bunch of people that pay dues, you know, so we've got to deal with, we got to work with what we've got. Um, our merchandising is always really fun. We've got great events. You know, it's like little little tweaks here and there to make the experience to just make it incrementally better every year. And if there's ever an opportunity that makes sense to make some, you know, large scale change or addition, um, we're definitely open to that. But we're not um, currently executing anything like that. Yeah, it's a fine line with a place like Sweetens because. You know, what people fell in love with is that it isn't like other places and that it is very, you know, totally simple, has a rustic nature to it, that it's you're not bothered. You're so you don't want to mess up the recipe too much because it's pretty uh, it's a very it's a very special one. And uh, one certainly that Rob and crew nailed. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And couldn't agree more. It's an experience everyone has to have another experience that you would wish for any golfer uh, we have written about in the Golfer's Journal. Um, one of our, in early on, um, have written about the, the Hoopy Match Club. We have, well, maybe I shouldn't even mention it. <laughs> we'll just say the Hoopy Match Club has been in the Golfer's Journal, and it's a place that you love as well. Why do you love the Hoopy, Ma- Hoopy Match Club, and how is it special? I love the style of golf um, that Gil and Mike created, where A, I love match play. It, I love it for a lot of reasons. One, I think it's more fun for the average golfer uh, to not be just, you know, grinding over every, every, the average golfer is going to make a a lot of mistakes in a round, you know? Um, And so I hate it when you're playing a stroke play event or, you know, you're playing a a match that's stroke play or only stroke players, you know, a bet that's a stroke play bet you know, you're going to be in your pocket once around, or you're at least going to be, you know, making a mess a couple of times around. So the match play format is great. I think, cause it's, it really allows, you know, if you're, 
like I, I, I played it. I played a hoopie last week and I was playing really well, but it was two V two. And on 18, I absolutely power pulled my drive. I mean, into the caddy shack. I mean, it was, I'm out of the hole, you know, like, yeah, dead left almost into the range. I mean, honestly, okay. I didn't find it, but it was thinking about 18. Yeah, dude, that's out there. Over it's there. out there. I mean, just a yeah. full, I was trying to hit it as hard as I could. We were, we were playing. It's a short hole. You don't need to drew. Well, see when you're, that's another thing. The winner picks the box. Yeah. And the guy I'm playing against. We're, we're all square. The guy we're, no, no, we're one down and the guy we're playing against. And my partner was the highest handicapper. He was like an 11. Um, no, we're playing against two guys that are closer to scratch and he's getting a shot. And so he, they take us all the way back. We're playing at 440. Uh, whoa. Okay. Never done so that. So I'm like, all right, I got to lay into this drive here because you know, <clears throat> I need to make a birdie or, or hope they make a mistake. And instead, I just, you know, slung it into the ozone left. But it didn't ruin my round. It's just one hole, you know? I mean, we did lose the match, but we pushed the hole because my partner made a par. But that style of golf, I love what, I mean, there's no golf carts. I mean, there's no, there's no cart paths. There are some carts, but it's only medical, which it's that Scottish style of golf. And even though it's a private club, um, it's a, their model is generous for people who want to take, you know, like, I, you know, members can send unaccompanied groups. And that's really unique. I think in that sort of higher echelon of clubs and um, the camaraderie, the walking, the, the culture of, disengaging from your phone and culture for a minute and, and just engaging people on a one-on-one level. That's what I love about golf. I've made so many friends walking 18 holes over the years, getting to know people. Hey, how old are your kids? What are they up to? Um, how'd you get into your, the business you're in or, you know, um, and I've, yeah, it's just it, that whole, the whole culture of golf. I think what I like about a hoopie is a lot of the things I love about golf it sort of holds in a crucible. That's a good point. Yeah. When you get there, you definitely feel like you're removed from the world and, uh, and you're usually like overnight. And so it's kind of like you're on this camp out with all these other golf crazy people and, uh, you're all eating the same food and the food is outstanding. Um, it's, it's like the perfect place. Um, so I'm, I have much. And I think, I think Gil did such a great job of, Every single shot on the golf course has uh, options, mm-hmm. you know, whether you want to take the high risk option, the low risk option, or you're a good golfer and you want to, you know, try some, you know, it, it just, it suits all style of play. Um, I've had days out there where I've made five or six birdies and then there's been days where I haven't, couldn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't find the, the hole. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's just a really fun experience. That's a great point. And that's why it is a good, like you'd say, all right, how do you design a golf course for match play? Um, well, they accomplished it, uh, Gil and Jim, at, uh, at the Hoopy Match Club, because I've, you know, you're always playing a match there. And I felt that when you're getting up to a hole where you're like, man, I have an option here. And I really have to think about what I'm doing, um, depending on where I am in the match. Should I try and drive the green? Should I go try and, you know, lay back? You know, there's always, um, should I go up to a tee where I could drive the green? You know, that stuff. It's so right. fun. So fun. So yeah. I hope we get to have a match there. We we have a rematch on the books, I hope. We do have a rematch. I think uh I'm it's not gonna hide to do it. I'm not gonna hide from it. Uh Drew Drew uh took it down at Waynesboro at my own club. So I think maybe I could return the favor. 
<laughs> with a little home and home action. Um, it was uh, it, the fun was had by all though, but uh, yeah, an incredibly uh, special well, place. You know that one is that one swing was it seventeen? What did I do? I don't even remember. You went left. Uh, uh, I think it was seventeen. The one with the creek running through the middle. Is that seventeen? Oh no, that's thirteen. With the creek, maybe it was the the there, there was a there was a hole where it was OB left oh. um, com, coming in. I think it was sixteen or seventeen. Oh, it's, yeah, it's uh, it's sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yes, I did. I never hit it over there. Yeah, I was just nervous of playing with Drew Holcomb. <laughs> you know, you're going around telling me how you play it. You know, the Hoopy and Augusta and Cypress. I'm like, all in. no, no. That was that was super fun. <laughs> you're an incredibly fun guy to play with. So. Uh, getting back to playing with, and, and you said you do play some matches at, at your club with Ben Rector. I thought that was funny that you mentioned that, like, that he's not a trash talker. And, he's not a uh, trash talker. I, yeah. I, I'm trying to teach him, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say he handicaps you probably. You guys, do you guys play even up? I would say generally he's a shot or two better on the card than I am. Ben has a more consistent game. I think that's one of the reasons he gets frustrated playing with me because he is a better player than I am. But I have a tendency to, to like make, more heroic moments out of my mm. game than he does. Ah, yes. No, I know how that works. And, and there's nothing more frustrating for the the player who fancies themselves as the better golfer. Uh, to he can absolutely. Start. We both we both hit it a long way, but he hits it a long way. He can. Um, he, he really. He can. He's he's got a good move, man. He's got a good move. Yeah. And we, I think you know the more golf we've played together over the years, the more comfortable we've got. I mean, there's like everybody musicians can be competitive with each other and, and we came up together and, um, but we have vastly different, you know, styles of music, different careers. And I think we've really come to learn to celebrate each other and to enjoy each other's company on the golf course. And, um, I have a lot of respect for Ben and I, 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 I believe that feeling is probably mutual based on our relationship. But, um, the last year, this year we didn't hardly play it all together cause we we were both, we were both kind of ships in the night on the touring front. Um, but, I definitely, I definitely, I, we got, we, we got to take a trip together last January and play a little bit of golf at golf club. I, this was my least, I toured so much this year. This is the least amount of rounds I've played in Nashville in 10 years. Um, I hope to wow. remedy that, but that's just sort of the nature of the work I'm in right now. Well, you're hot, man. You've got an album out that's, uh, that's doing really well. It's, I mean, how it's been out for, I mean, you were supporting it last year, right? Yeah, it came out in June. The, the song started coming out around February. Yeah. Um, and then we actually, you know, sort of news early and it's fine if you you can keep it in. But um, we actually, re- when we made the record, we recorded not 11 songs, but 21 songs. And Strangers No More Volume 2 is going to start coming out one piece at a time. And we'll, so I've, it'll, be a, it'll be a double record by the time it all comes out in September. Heck yeah. But, so there's a lot more new music on the horizon and, and a lot of touring as well. So, but yeah, I, uh, we, we were out all summer with Darius Rucker, which we'd never really do a lot of summer touring. And then we had our fall headline tour and all the stuff supporting the new record. And so it's just been, it's been busy, but it's, but it's been great. Did you tee it up with Hootie? Oh yeah. We played a lot of golf. Today. I would, I would imagine you would. Yeah. Now yeah. who, who wins that? Who wins that match? We're straight up very different games. He's, he's a sort of a traditional sort of, He's, I mean, he's, he's quite a bit older than me, obviously. Um, he hits it. I hit it really far, but I don't hit it very straight. He hits it, you know, 255 right down the middle, a little low draw. 
Um, he's got a tidier game for sure. Um, but his putter can get his putter is either his best friend or his worst enemy. And um, so that was sort of the determining factor in who won in our, our matches. I now have Hootie and the Blowfish songs running through my head and uh, <laughs> could be a could be a tough day. No, I, I, I was I was a big Hootie guy in college. We all were. If you want, well, to they're doing a huge the sort 90s. of. I don't know if it's a farewell tour or like a farewell for now tour, but they're they're doing a big big summer blowout. Good for them. Um, yeah. That's very cool. So uh, you're a grinder, though. Are there golf goals that you can share with us for 2024 as we, you know, you've got a big music year planned. Uh, what do you got yeah. planned for your golf year? You know, uh, well, the big sort of thing that circled is I'm taking, when I say I'm taking, it's just because I helped put, I put the trip together, but my seven sort of closest friends were doing a, a Northern Scotland Highlands trip. Um, nice. And yeah, it's, it's, I have a, book, a couple, I have a book they should all read. Yes, I know. I'm actually, I think most of them, I'm pretty sure most of them have read it. So, but um, yeah, but uh, it's, uh, we're playing a lot of the, playing a couple of the big obvious ones, you know, the Dornick, Castle Stewart, Aberdeen, Cruden Bay, but then we're also playing the Brewer, Golsby, Fort Rose, um, stuff yeah. like that. So we're going to have a really great trip. But my, my goals this year in golf is interesting. I, I don't have a lot of time to work on my game right now. And so I'm just trying to enjoy the moment and be present over over every shot and lower my expectations because I'm so busy. I'm not going to have time to grind out, you know, 80 rounds and get a bunch of practice sessions in. That's just not going to happen. Um, so enjoying the time I do get to play. Um, and then there's definitely – I had a <laughs> – I had a string of – You'll, I think I may have told you about this, but in August, something happened and I got the shanks like real bad. Like I had 28 in round shanks <laughs> in two and a half weeks and seven of them were in one round at a place I was really excited to play Milwaukee country club. Cause it's a hard place to get a, get around. Um, and I was driving the ball as good as I've ever driven it. I mean, we're talking like 285 right down the middle, every hole, and I had seven wedge, just full <laughs> send rights. And Pitch out. to my to my credit, though, even with seven of those, I shot an eighty four. That's pretty good. So, seven shanks. You know, seven shanks. It took me a minute to get rid of them. I had to I had to sort of call in the uh, the emergency patrol. Um, a good buddy of mine who I trust the most. And anyways, he's he he fixed it. It was I was just you know bringing the club way too far inside and couldn't get the club face back around to it. But I, my fix at the time was I was trying to do the other thing where I was getting like really far away from the ball. And anyways, yeah. it was just a mess. But I know that no, we're talking to a bunch of go golfers on here, good. so they love to hear that. I know. know. If someone's listening and has the shanks, what was your cure again? Because there's nothing yeah, that makes so, you want to quit any more than having the shanks. Yeah. I mean, my my pro teaching buddy was basically saying there's sort of two kinds of shanks. And I was trying to fix the wrong kind. So, um I was, I was not too close to the ball. You know, that was not what was going on. I was, it was that I was bringing the, the club face, you know, instead of here, I was bringing it here at right at takeaway. So I was coming in way, way inside and then couldn't get back to it. So he's got yeah. me now, you know, you know, it makes it feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like pointing it to, you know, right yeah. field, but 
but it's not. When I look at the videos, it's that's the great probably, thing about the videos. Yeah. You know, you know, just like, hey, man, the video doesn't lie. This is what you're doing. Um, feel is not real. Yeah, you're probably just bringing it straight back when you feel like you're picking it straight up. Um, yeah. Yeah, when that's that, bringing it inside, and then you're just basically presenting the hosel right to the golf ball. It's not. It's yeah. It happens. Yeah. It happens. So anyways, I, I went from a, a, a two to a seven in like uh, six weeks, which is just hilarious and horrible. And expensive. It all, it all, Inexpensive. It also shows you how much golf I was playing inside of that time frame. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I'm back down to like a 4.5 and I'm playing some better golf. But it, it's, uh, I, I've never been, I grind over the game in the sense that I have a friend who taught me, you know, when you're, especially when you're playing in a match, until their ball is in the hole and yours is not until the hole is actually lost, stay in and grind it out. Um, you know, and then the good friend of mine is a golfer, the PGA tour player named Scott Stallings. He's a ton of fun. And he gave me this great mindset thing about a year ago that I've been working with. And he said, every missed green is an opportunity for a memory, you know? So he's like, get to, get to where you love your wedges as like your paintbrushes. If you're an artist, you know, wow. yeah. um, and I've really taken that to heart and have loved that. And my favorite memory from this year is I have this big Ryder Cup day with my brother. We raise money for the first tee. It's at Sweetens Cove. It's my 20 versus 20. So it's mostly a Memphis versus Nashville day. And we've been doing it for about six years. And one of the guys on my brother's team uh, used to play on the, like the Latin American tours. He's a plus four. I mean, the guy is an absolute baller. And he was two up with five to go. I had a 12 footer for bogey. He had a six footer for bogey on seven. And I gave him the opportunity to go good, good. He laughed and said, put that, you know, which he should have. But I was also like, I'm going to, you know, so I made it. And then he missed. Hell yeah. And then we get to 18. We're tied. I mean, we get to nine. It's a nine hole match. We get to nine. Sweden's a short, short par three, the sort of um, Redan. And I hit it short. I'm about a foot and a half short in the rough and we're walking through the sand and he's got about a 30 footer. And I said, Hey, Jonathan, I'm going to chip this in. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay, yeah, you're going to chip this in. And I step up to it, bounce, bounce, roll, dead center dunk to win the match. And he's yeah. like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was that mindset of, Hey, just cause I missed the green. I'm in this hole, you know? Uh, um, and I'm not a great iron player, so I have to think that way a lot. Cause I, I, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a great fairway to green player. That's the weakest part of my game. So I'm going to keep, probably I'm gonna say, keep, yeah. keep grinding on that. Uh, that's great advice. Uh, every missed green is an opportunity for a memory. Um, I had a lot of mem memorable opportunities <laughs> this, this year. I didn't make a lot of memories, but, uh, yeah, probably the weakest part of my game as well. Drew, I can't have you on the podcast, the musician on the podcast, without asking you, of course, your take on the most hotly debated topic in golf. No, it's not the golf ball. It's um, music on the golf course. Yes or no? Okay, so my personal preference is no most of the time, only because I have a hard time hearing music without it getting my creative engine turning Mm -hmm. thinking about music when I would rather be paying attention to golf and, and conversation that said, 
I don't really mind it with two rules. One, I cannot have two musics playing at the same time. Like the two carts with yeah. two different things going. Such a violation. Is a, is a s- severe violation. And then two, dear God, please don't play my music when we're playing golf together. Oh. Could, people, has people someone ever dared? That. Oh, for sure. Now, every once in a while, it happens like where it's on a playlist, and that's okay. I, I get it. Like, I'm honored if people have me on their playlist. But when they're like, hey, let's listen to you, you know, I'm like, some people do it to, to try to like get ahead in the match, but I'm going to start having to contract at the beginning of a match that you can't play my music during the match. Yeah, right. No, it's <laughs> I mean, just not, co- yeah. It's, I'm it's not, not really right. going to do that, but, but I, don't, I don't love that. It's like I had a flight to Ireland one time and I'm sitting next to a dude, which was incredibly cool that he pulled out a course called Ireland. I was like, oh, that was it's a thrill. That was like something I was like, man, that would be cool if that ever happened someday. But then he read it the whole way there next to me. And I'm just like, <laughs> I was like Shit. why isn't he laughing? Why isn't he smiling? What is he thinking? But, you know, it's like the longest. Yeah, that's, a gr- that's an know? egregious personal <laughs> personal space violation. Oh, I was like, oh, dude, just go, do something else. Play on your phone. Um no, but that's really, really great. So can't thank you enough for coming on the pod. You were recently, though, also can't thank you enough for being part of our Nashville documentary um, that uh, that the Golfers Journal that maybe depending on when this podcast drops, it might be live or it might be coming soon. I uh, just want to ask you, what was it like? I mean, you were fantastic on that. So if anyone wants to hear more about Drew's songwriting process or hear Drew perform, um, which absolutely just blows. I've, I've seen the rough cut and dude, it is so great uh yeah that so um, casey sent it to me about a week ago and i was really um honored and i felt very sort of yeah it was really cool to be a part of what you guys are doing there i think it's a really great narrative piece and um it was fun to to connect there's so much connective tissue i think between golf and music and it was fun to sort of you know verbally process that on camera and um and to get to share some some of my life and my stories and um this game is is giving me a lot and honestly too not to like toot you guys horn but i've been a subscriber of the golfer's journal since day one and thank you so much of golf media for so long was focused on the pro game and that's so little of what most golfers spend their time on and so it's been really great to see such great content great photography great storytelling in this, you know, beautiful collector's format. And, um, you know, I'm a, I, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of different stuff in golf media, but getting to do something with you guys was a real treat just cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm in the tribe. I'm a fan. Thanks man. You knocked it out of the park. So everyone check out the Nashville documentary. Um, and please check out drew on tour, uh, going everywhere. So if you go to drew you'll probably find a spot. <laughs> Um, I'm going to try and catch you, I think, in Charleston down at the, oh, uh, sweet. the music hall. That's a fun spot. Maybe we have yeah, a couple a courses spot. down there we could maybe check out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much, Drew. We'll see you out there on the road, on the course, or um, playing some music. All right. Thanks, Tom. Good to be with uh, you. Great being with you. Thanks for listening, everyone. And if you enjoyed this episode, we strongly encourage you to become a member of the Golfer's Journal or if you already are, to share it with your friends. As a reader-supported publication, we couldn't do it without you. We also couldn't do it without the help of our partners, and they are Titleist, Scotty Cameron, Footjoy, Link Soul, Omega, 
Charles Schwab, and BMW. We'll see you next time on the Golfer's Journal podcast.